Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hello, and thank you for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. You know when you go see a movie and you get so caught up in the story and the action that you forget about everything else for a couple of hours? It's a sensation that most of us are familiar with, and that includes Jeff Sachs, Associate Chair of the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences here at Washington University in St. Louis. The difference between most of us and Zach's is that he has studied how our brains respond to movies. He wrote a book about it called Flickr, Your Brain on Movies. Zach's knows all about the tricks that filmmakers use to pull in an audience's eyes, brains, and emotions. But it doesn't matter. He falls for it anyway. When I first started thinking about films, I used to freak myself out because I would go into a theater and I would try and pay attention to all the stuff that I've been thinking about in the film and I would experience what we know technically is called immersion. It just means that I got sucked into the movie and I would realize 20 minutes later that I'd missed all the stuff I was trying to attend to. In today's podcast, Zox is going to help us understand some of the reasons why this happens, why it's so easy to get mentally and emotionally wound up in movies, Part of the reason, he's found, is that in our brains, there are a lot of similarities between how we react to moving images on a screen and how we react to real life. So, you know, the traditional formulation that was given to us by Wordsworth is that we have to suspend our disbelief to get lost in a poem or a story or a movie. But the thing that seems to be more true is that what we have to suspend is our belief, our engagement in the thing, because most of the stuff that we experience is real. Movies are weird. They're unusual. And then it takes some extra work, cognitive top-down work, to suppress those responses. Think about it. Before films showed up, a little more than 100 years ago, for the vast majority of human evolution, if you saw something with your eyes, it was a real situation that you had to respond to. Zox refers to one of these automatic responses as the mirror rule. This is basically the idea that, as a social species, it usually works in your favor to do the same thing that you see other people doing. So if I uh, see you waving at me, then waving back is not going to be a bad thing to do. If you smile, it's probably a situation in which it's appropriate for me to smile. And these mechanisms are pretty fast and pretty difficult to override and pretty automatic. So if you see a face up on a screen smiling, you're going to tend to do that. And if the face is like 20 feet tall on a movie screen, that is even harder to resist. And that turns out to be true even if the face that's smiling is the face of the evil villain who you're supposed to hate. Most of us have learned to tamper down these automatic reactions somewhat. At least, adults have. You just go watch an action movie with a bunch of kids, and they won't be suppressing as much. They'll be leaking out a bunch more of those actions. And even adults, you know, in a, in a big action movie, you'll, you'll see everybody leaning forward and leaning backwards together and flinching, and the kids will be full on, you know, waving the lightsabers and the whole deal. This mimicry rule works hand in hand with a second automatic reaction that we experience. Zach's calls this one the success rule. And the success rule just says, 
do what worked in the past. Things like, if a rock is flying at your head, ducking out of the way can keep you from getting hurt. If you're dizzy and disoriented, grabbing onto something steady can help you regain your balance. That's a powerful, simple learning mechanism that, that profoundly shapes our behavior online all the time. And we don't just turn that off when we go into the theater. Hence all of the ducking and flinching that happens during action movies. And also the smiling and frowning that happens as actors smile and frown. Those two mechanisms, you know, mirroring what you see on the screen and then forming physical behaviors that are adaptive to what's on the screen, those will get your face and your body into a particular configuration. Once your body is in this configuration, mimicking and reacting to what's happening on screen, something sort of remarkable happens. Your emotions start to line up with what's happening to your body. Most of the time we think of brains as the ultimate control center. The brain has a thought and sends commands to the rest of the body. But really, there's much more of a back and forth. This happens in our daily lives and also when we watch movies. The stuff that's going on in your brain and the stuff that's going on in your guts, that all hangs together. And when one piece of that program is activated, it tends to activate the other pieces. So being happy can make you smile, sure. But it also works in the other direction. Smiling, the simple physical act of turning up the corners of your mouth, can help make you happy. If I get you to pose your face in a way that's associated with a happy emotion, so for example, I can ask you to hold a pencil between your teeth, and that's going to put your face in a smiling pose. If you ask people to do this, they don't think to themselves, oh, I'm smiling. But if you look at their faces, that's the pose they're in. And then if you ask them a couple minutes later how they're feeling, they're feeling happier. So there's a causal link that goes backwards to how we're used to thinking of it from the facial pose back to the internal experience. So where does this leave the actual story of a movie, the characters, the plot? It's there, and it's also really important. People do feel emotions in movies because they care about what's happening to the fictional characters on screen. Just like people feel emotion when reading a novel or hearing a story on the radio. But with film, what most of us don't realize is that there's more going on. So if you ask people, well, why do you feel happy or sad? They'll say, well, it's because there's somebody I care about, either real or fictional, and something good happens to them, I feel good. If something bad happens to them, I feel bad. And that inferential pathway to feeling emotion also happens. And it's not surprising at all. What people aren't aware of is that there's this whole other thing based on the mirror rule and the success rule and all these unconsciously activated emotion programs that are activated by our physical configurations. That's the part that produces this sense of like, why the heck am I crying in the middle of this dumb movie that I don't even care very much about? See, there's no shame in crying at that cheesy movie on TV. It's just your brain doing what it has evolved to do. It even happens to brain researchers. You know, I'm a pretty stoic person in real life, and but I can find myself crying at a dumb movie that I don't even really like very much. Even without knowing exactly what's happening in the brain to make all of this happen, filmmakers have been taking advantage of things like the mirror rule and the success rule for a long time. Some rely more on the mirror rule, 
Think of all the sitcoms with loud laugh tracks that compel you to laugh along. Other movies or TV shows access emotions more through storylines that pull us in and make us feel empathy for the characters. Some filmmakers have managed to be experts at all of these methods. Think of Alfred Hitchcock. Rope is this film that uses no montage, there's no visible cuts. Everything about the intense affect in that film is conveyed with the acting. And then Rear Window is a film where Jimmy Stewart spends the whole movie just looking out the window with a pretty blank expression. And all of what you're feeling about what's going on inside him is due to the montage between what he's looking at out there and then the reaction shot of his face. There's actually nothing going on in his face, but you're reading it in because of what you just saw. Of course, no matter how great a movie is, we know logically that these stories aren't real. No matter how sad we get or how angry we get during a movie, there's nothing we can do to change the outcome. But because of how our brains work, sometimes we react even more to these fake situations than we do to things in real life. Why? And part of it's that the stimulus that you get from a movie is what like an what an ethologist would call a supernormal stimulus. It's you take the parameters in the natural situation and then you just turn them up to 11. So, you know, the faces are really big, the expressions are really exaggerated. You've got congruent music and all of these things drive those mechanisms a lot harder than the kind of normal parameter range that we experience in real life. As you might have guessed by now, Zox doesn't just study movies, he really likes them. And even as he returns to researching things like memory, cognition, and how people's brains process events in real life, he's still excited about film as a science and an art form, and where it's headed in the future. Having learned more about how movies work and how the brain deals with them has just made me that much more interested in films. And I'm, I think we're in a really exciting time in the history of film and related media. What's happened with the distribution of media and the democratization of the creation of media is pretty exciting. I mean, um, I grew up in the years when television was a total wasteland, and now television or something very much like it, I don't know if Hulu and Netflix really are television, are really hugely interesting. And then at the same time, you know, we've got the Oculus Rift coming out next year, and the New York Times is sending me these 3D documentaries that I can watch on my phone. And that's pretty exciting. So those developments combined with knowing a little bit about, oh, how does that 3D, 3D documentary technology actually work in our brains? That makes it a pretty fun time to be in this business. Thank you to Jeff Sox for joining Hold That Thought. Once again, his book is called Flickr, Your Brain on Movies. In a few weeks, we'll once again be featuring Zox talking about movies. Then we'll be looking at how our eyes work with our brains to process moving pictures in the first place. For that conversation and for many more ideas to explore, please visit us at holdthatthought.wustl.edu or find us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also subscribe to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.